Hello and welcome to the first of two very special bonus editions of Robbie the Robot's Waiting. It's a two-parter with added SFX appeal. SFX, the world's number one sci-fi and fantasy magazine, had its 25th anniversary earlier this year. We thought this was something worth celebrating, so for the very first time in the entire history of the universe, we've assembled all five of SFX's editors in one place to talk about the history of a sci-fi institution. Having all sat in the captain's chair, they've got a unique perspective on how the genre has evolved since 1995. Dave and Rich will recognize as regular members of the Robbie team, but we've also bagged ourselves a Matt, a Darren, and another Dave. I'm Tanavi Patel, faced with the daunting task of keeping them all on topic. Over to the editors. I'm Matt Bealby. I was the first editor of uh, SFX. Um, we started in, I guess, early summer 1995, got a, such a long time ago, and I did uh, just 11 issues through into 1996 when Dave Golder, who'd been deputy editor from the start, took over. Hi there, I'm Dave Golder. Uh, as Matt just said, I took over with uh, issue 12 in 1996. I was there till 2005. Having launched the new series of Doctor Who, I felt my job here was done and <laughs> meant not to pass you. And then immediately came back and then came back again and then came back again. And I'm the ultimate hanger on. And I believe I'm the only person who's got their name in every single issue of this effect. Is that true? Wow. I wow. think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi, so I'm Dave Bradley and I took over editing SFX in 2005. I remember Dave handed the editorship to me at the 10th birthday party for SFX over a cake. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we're, uh, we were at Soho House, I think, in London. So uh, we celebrated with cake and Ooh. then I edited the magazine for a further uh, nine years. And uh, I left in 2014 to, uh, I, uh, I became like a, a, I think the title was Group Senior Editor and Chief Editing, a couple of overseeing a couple of other magazines. And Richard had been my deputy for many years and took over as editor at that point, right, Rich? Yeah, that's right. So I was news editor before I was deputy as well. So I became editor in 2014 and my name is Richard Edwards. So I get that bit in as well. And uh, I edited the magazine until 2019 when I handed the reins on to Darren. I'm Darren Scott and I didn't work at SFX before. So um, I was brand new and I um, have been there just over a year now, I think it is. Blimey, time flies. Obviously, all of you have some great writing backgrounds, but how did you come to be editors at SFX? It was a really strange time back in the, the 90s. Um, it was such a great time for magazines, like a golden age in a way. There was um, uh, cheapish desktop publishing available. The internet had, was only just getting going, so it hadn't taken over everything yet. Um, and um, lots of people launching lots of very exciting magazines across lots of different specialist interest spheres. And many of them were being done at, uh, at Future, which is a publishing company of SFX based in Bath. We'd had lots of science, uh, we'd had lots of video game mags, um, and that sort of tied in a little bit to the sort of science fiction world. Some of the same people were interested in both subjects. I'd been very keen on doing a science fiction mag for a while. I know Dave had too. And it got to a point by 1995 where Future was doing so well, and I had personally launched four or five magazines for them, and they'd all been hits. So I got a chance to just basically say, look, I want to do this. And people finally agreed it was okay to do it. And so couldn't quite believe our luck, really, because suddenly we were doing this magazine that I, and I think David, always wanted to do. And another year, it wouldn't have happened. But that year, everyone just felt very optimistic, and they let us just take a chance on it. Then we just had to make sure it worked. I was actually doing a column in one of your 
You did edit um, your Sinclair for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I would say. Yeah, first. Yeah. Yeah, were you there when I was doing the killer killer column from Outer Space? I think that came a little bit later, possibly with right. Jonathan Davis or something. All right, okay, because um, that was that was my attempt to like make future like stand up. We listened to a science fiction magazine, but um, they 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 never listened to me. And I actually left the company for a while. I can, they, they kind of said, "Oh, we'll make you stay." And I went, oh, I'd like to do a science fiction magazine. And they kind of went, oh, ho, ho, no way. And then, of course, you went along and suggested it, and they they, they listened to you more than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and they were, and they were immediately, immediately went, oh, there was that other guy you kept going about science fiction. But it was so good that there was somebody else there to do it with. You know, oh, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. just me on my own. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what I will admit is that, like, um, yeah, if I'd launched it, it would have been very different, and it probably would have closed in it <laughs> about a year. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you were there because, uh, yeah, it would have, yeah. <laughs> I think was, you, you had a much more high, much more ambitious ideas than I did. I think I think uh, would have been a bit more low rent if I'd started it, but I learned a lot from you. It was all about trying to make it different to the existing magazines because you had. Starburst there that had been around forever and you had Dreamwatch and mm. you had the Doctor Who magazine and you had, what else, TV Zone. So lots of things existed in that market and then Starlog and those sort of things in America. Um, but they all seemed quite very fanish, and very, which is a good thing, but very sort of parish magazine-y in a way. Mm. And I wanted to do something that was a bit more bigger and mainstream and was trying to kind of sort of say science fiction isn't just for... Um, you know, the, the stereotype, but it's for lots and lots of different people. And I guess because TV shows were starting to come through for the first time in ages, mm. uh, by the mid-90s, uh, X-Files, we'll probably talk about a bit more, but that was maybe the first big one. Um, yeah. But there's various Star Treks and um, Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine head-to-head against each other and so on. Um, and then later on, Buffy and stuff, but that was two years later, maybe. But so you guys this- obviously started off at the magazine and then got to do all that but Dave you joined then later on oh yeah I uh I I joined much later after after 10 years so but I'd been at future publishing as well you know so I'd, I'd been working on this so I knew Matt already a little bit because I worked on the some of the video game magazines and um mm-hmm. uh and I'd uh edited a couple of magazines including the official Microsoft um Windows magazine that that, that we had but I was a I was a reader of the mag and uh, and, and a fan, and I think I maybe knew Dave Gold a little bit as well, and and and, and the things. But um, but yeah, no, I, I hadn't worked on the magazine before, um, although I, although I'd had a couple of letters published in it. Um, <laughs> as a, as a what about uh, what about? Uh, I well, <laughs> those who know me will won't be surprised at all. I, I wrote complaining that Guy Haley's review of Hawk the Slayer wasn't fair. <laughs> if you like it or hate it he didn't score it high enough for me uh, so, well, he didn't right. give it five uh, uh, well it's a five star movie Rich uh, <laughs> Every, everyone knows that and, uh, and, then, um, uh, and then I'd also written into SFX I asked the SFX birds a couple of times if you remember that so I'd, I'd written in asking a few questions and Berryman had, had answered uh, Ian Berryman the who's now deputy editor had answered my question there so, so I, um, I was a fan of the mag and then um, Dave left and um, and I remember seeing that it, the notification going up that, that there was a, uh, you know, the editorship was available to apply for. And I sort of couldn't believe it. And it came at a point where I had been editing this other magazine for a couple of years. And, um, uh, and there you go. So, yeah, I joined in 2005. How about you, Rich? So I was on a movie magazine called Hot Dog uh, between, what, 2003 and 2006. And that closed. You know, most, most journalists at some point have been made redundant. And uh, so... 
I was sort of doing nothing for a while. And it was just very fortuitous timing that the SFX news editor job was being advertised at the time. So I went for it, uh, had a couple of interviews and got it. And Dave Bradley was actually on sabbatical at the time uh, and he wasn't involved in the interviews. So he actually came back from um, this sabbatical in Paris to find he'd got a new news editor. <laughs> so, so you didn't get a cake or anything. You just got, <laughs> you just started <laughs> without the fanfare. Well, I mean, I mean, Dave Golder did interview me, so you know he kind of knew what he was talking about. So it wasn't like a complete shock, but um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in uh, in two thousand and six. I, I I took a uh, few months off and um, to, and went to yeah went to live in France for a bit and, and and so on. And and I remember I spoke to Richard for the first time on a on a um, on the phone just outside a. Uh, outside a supermarché in uh, Paris on the left bank of the, of the Seine. And, um, uh, and that's the first time I, 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 knew, uh, I knew Rich. But, but, but yeah, so I came back from there and, um, and, and we carried on. Then I was news editor for four years and then got promoted to deputy editor, which I did for another four years. And then Dave moved upstairs to, to look after SFX and Total Film. I sort of got, took the helm of SFX. And last but not least, Darren, how about you? Well, I was, um, I was quite happily freelancing. Um, I had spent the best part of a decade um, editing a well-known gay magazine at the time. Um, and, I, yeah, I, 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 I was freelance for a couple of years, I think, and I, um, I wasn't looking for any kind of permanent job, really. And then a friend of mine happened to spot the SFX advert um, as I say, because I wasn't looking, and said, oh, you should apply for this. And I thought, oh, there's no point. Like, that's, that is the dream job. I have read that <laughs> magazine since this won. I'm never, ever going to get in there. Um, but I thought, well, do you know what? I'll apply anyway. And, um, yeah, and lo and behold, because um, I actually genuinely, I genuinely thought I should apply so mm-hmm. that the deputy job comes up some point down the line, I might be remembered. So, um it, yeah, it was. I still can't. I still can't quite believe actually that I get <laughs> for a job. It's 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 uh, as anyone who knows me will say it is the dream, the dream job. And uh, yeah, after a year, is it still the dream? Well, it's been a strange year. <laughs> <laughs> well, none of us, none of the rest of us, did global pandemics. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, wrote, we wrote about them, but we did yeah. outbreak was in the first issue, I think. I was going to say <laughs> stuff in there. <laughs> I did, I did seem to commission quite a lot of um, speeches on survivors this year, so um, <laughs> I don't know. It just felt, it just felt right, but um, yeah, it's been interesting because we've, obviously we've had to change quite a lot because everything, everything that was supposed to land at the start of the year is now starting to trickle through. So all the TV shows that were coming in spring are now landing in the autumn. Um, obviously, films are being pulled from the schedule left, right, and centre. So we've had to mm-hmm. really sort of rethink. How SFX is created every month, really, and yeah. uh, and uh, work quite far in advance actually to commission stuff, just so that if something does fall at the last minute, we can straight away replace it with something else we've got stashed away. So it's been very busy in our different SFX towers all over the country. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll come back to that because it is very interesting what's happening at the moment. But going back to the start. All those 25 years ago. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I guess a lot of people want to know when you were going into it, I think you've mentioned it a little earlier, but what was your primary aim in, in terms of or, or the niche that you're going for, your USP, I guess? I guess 
you know, primary aim was to have fun, you know, do a magazine that we'd really enjoy doing. Um, but the USP, which was what we would have told the powers that be to kind of make it sound like we knew what we were talking about, <laughs> was that um, science fiction was just about to have a moment, you know, um, TV shows were starting to come through and were starting to slightly become more mainstream hits. And I think X-Files was the first one to become a proper sort of mainstream hit where people that you wouldn't expect to be talking about science fiction actually were. Mm. Um, and lots and lots of movies were coming out which had um, big science fiction elements to it. And that summer right. was going to be that um, Batman Forever, Judge Dredd, um, various other big movies were coming out that summer, and you like sort Street of felt Fighter, yeah. Street Fighter, all the biggies, all the <laughs> classics, <laughs> all the classics. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, <laughs> we, we we just thought this was a moment when special effects were becoming more affordable, so TV could have afford sort of okay special effects for the first time. They could do spaceships and things uh, in a in a more convincing way than Blake Seven used to. And so um, it just felt like we could make a more mainstream science fiction magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember them. Uh, one of the things I had to do to make it seem mainstream for the launch was go on Anne and Nick, um, which was a Saturday, uh, a weekday morning. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my we all remember yeah. Anne and Nick. Yeah. And so I had to go, and there was me and uh, Michelle Detrice were on it. Uh, Michelle Detrice obviously is not a science fiction figure, but she was an old hand and held my hand in the green room because I wasn't used to live <laughs> TV at all. And I had to um, go on the set, a big sort of, you know, set at Pebble Mill, I think it was in Birmingham. Um, and they built me a little science fiction set in the corner out of um, black bin bags with fairy lights poking through <laughs> to make a star field behind me. And they had a canine they'd found in the uh, warehouse somewhere. But he was a knackered canine. He'd only got three of his little casters, so he wobbled. <laughs> if you rested on him and stuff, he just wobbled over. And so I had canine, I had a star field, and I had me sitting there getting really nervous. And then Anna and Nick come running up to me, three, two, one, live, you're on. And I had to sort of sell <laughs> SFX and the idea of science fiction as a thing <laughs> to a weekday morning TV audience. Um, Nick afterwards said, do you really think science fiction is going to be big? And I said, well, I did just say that because I had to, but also I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me actually as well, do you remember the launch party? I do, which, yeah. Which was, had... which was a, um, a Henson's workshop in London. We and, had two uh, Doctor Who's there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I remember Peter which, which ones? Which doctors did you have? Peter Davison and John Pertwee, I believe. Yeah, Pertwee was like a proper ladies' man going around with a yeah. girl on each arm. Yeah, well, <laughs> that <word. laughs> but what, what reminded me was um, James Brown was there. Do you remember the uh, yes, the editor of Loaded? Yeah, yeah, and um, so he was a big, you know, like personality, media friendly kind of, you know, uh, editor of the time. And I remember, like, uh, leaving the party and he, he was wandering down the street, waving a coffee vest of X in the air, like, going, it's going to crash, it's going to crash. <laughs> it's like, we outlasted you all, You've got to find him and go wave it back in his face. <laughs> I just want to ask a question about the, the first cover, because obviously there's an advert for the first issue, which has got Street Fighter as the cover, mm. and then the one that actually did come out was Tan Girl. So what... Um, I think that Street Fighter one, yeah. I can't even remember the Street Fighter one, to be honest. I don't think that was ever going to be the actual cover. I think that was just a dummy that we did right. because we had assets for Street Fighter and we probably didn't have assets for anything else at the time. That's one right. of the 
bad things about SFX early doors was getting pictures, particularly. It was just a horror story. Um, everything was sort of third generation dupes, and you had to go physically up to the TV company or the you know movie company in London and beg for pictures. And they go, well, we can give you five or four, and we've got to give some of the other pictures to all these other magazines. So we go, can we have six? And they go, well, you can have six, but you have to have six shit ones, or you could have. <laughs> <laughs> or you can have five goodish ones, you know. And so that's one of the reasons, for instance, like the first issue of uh, SFX has that polarised image on the cover where they, we've messed around with the colours on the on the picture a lot. And we did that numerous times. It's because the images just weren't good enough to run straight. They'd just be too blurry to put on a cover. So we had to do something with them to make it workable. It was only probably about, well, two or three years later that people really started to get serious, I think, about doing really high-quality, high-end pictures that were good enough to run on a cover without too much messing about. But early doors, just getting the assets, was one of the big horrors of my life, basically. Well, speaking of that, in terms of the content, especially at start, to me it seems like you started from the outset with great content, but it must have been difficult at times. And how did you decide what was sci-fi and fantasy and what didn't get make the cut? Partly it was practical, wasn't it, Dave? It was like people didn't know who we were. So if somebody would talk yeah. to us and give us stuff, then we'd yeah. just go, yeah, let's have it. We'll put it in the magazine. It was, um, partly it was just because there's so much, right? There's so many different great writers and great bits of history and you know, stuff in science fiction's past that we could just cherry pick whatever we fancied for mm-hmm. any one time. I guess all of you have that question. Do you agree or disagree in terms of what you consider to be sci-fi I, and fantasy? I had a very broad church approach. It was like, if I, if I thought it should go in, it went in. It was, <laughs> um, I, I, it, was it was as simple as that. It was, um, I, I, never, I never really saw the sense in arguing about, like, is it fantasy or not? If it, if it felt right, if it felt right, it was going in. Goldeneye was the first big argument, I think, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Bond, James Bond. Yes, well, that was a legacy yeah. that's kind of remained forever. You know, Bond has yeah. always been... A Goldeneye had a... It had a laser, laser zapping things from space and stuff. Yeah, and it had probably. science fiction so, elements, but some Bonds obviously don't at all, but um, <laughs> they're still in SFX. I still have and, the, uh, the discussion. I don't know, I bet you do. With, oh. what, with, what with this being a Bond year as well, Darren? You must be having the conversation <laughs> right now about uh, No Time to Die, right? Well, you know, he says he's got no time to die, but it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've all had the same conversation. and I mean, I've argued that Bourne is more sci-fi than Bond because, you know, he's kind of modified and Mission Impossible right. is definitely more sci-fi than Bond because he's got magic faces and all this amazing tech, but, you know. Dave <laughs> Bradley likes to argue that Fast and Furious is maybe even more sci-fi than... Oh well, I think I think Fast and Furious. I think Fast and Furious is a superhero franchise, and I'll fight for that. I, th- I think I think super, you know, super, superheroic things is expecting of them, and they do completely impossible things. But the uh, I I know that uh, one of the things that we said with is something science fiction or not is the same uh, is the same as that famous legal definition of whether something's pornography or not. I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, we called it science fiction, but it was fantasy as much as it was science fiction. Yeah. yeah. And that was another argument that people got into as to what's. Um, which is which you know right yeah, I, think, I, I, could, I think i think john wick is fantasy and i've said you know and i've argued that before i'll fight anyone it's a, it, that's a that's a fact that's a fantasy universe sorry david well no i was gonna say you can you can always fall back on the old the old uh argument the, on the c clark argument about you know any any um any uh, technology you know which is uh so so advanced can appear to be magic so yeah fantasy is just science fiction 
waiting to happen. The, the conversation about what is sci-fi and fantasy is one of the biggest ones we have in the office. I mean, it's not like in a serious way, but, you know, if a film will be coming out, mm-hmm. is this us? And, and uh, then you have uh, the conversations where it's, if we don't review it, it's a spoiler. So something like Shutter Island, where it's got ghosts in it, and then, sorry, spoiler, but at the end you mm-hmm. realise it's all in his mind, and actually to not review it would be a spoiler. And then you have things that go the other way around, and... You know, you find right. out at the end there's time travel involved and, oh, well, that's a spoiler. So, yeah, all sorts of conversations go on. And I think often it came down to, does it feel right? You know, we went through a phase of covering the Big Bang Theory because it kind of felt like it crossed over with our audience quite a lot. I'm not sure I would have done that in the later years when there was so much really good sci-fi and fantasy being made. But at the time, it felt like the right fit and that our readers would be into it. I'll tell you what, though, this all pales into insignificance with when we shared an office with a magazine called Cult TV, who seemed to spend three weeks out of every four production cycle arguing about what Cult TV was. And then suddenly <laughs> in the last week went, oh, God, let's get, let's get a magazine out quick. Yeah, Danger Mouse, <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, you mean you guys have consistently put out a great magazine. And so obviously going with your gut is working for you for several decades now. Um, but how... What do you think it is that's kind of kept the magazine at the top of the field? Integrity. Is that a cliche? Sorry, is that? I think that's no, fair. We just, we, just got, we just got writers that care, and we made sure that the freelancers, uh, well, sometimes you do get the wrong freelancers, I'm not going to name any names, uh, they, they go by the wayside pretty quickly, but you try and get the freelancers as well who care, the ones who care what they're writing about. But also, it's always been entertaining, hasn't it? It's always been a funny magazine, and you know, mm. you know, you're going to have a good time picking it up and reading it. That sort of sort of light touch has always been an important part of the mix. I mm. think puns have always been encouraged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a great sense of community about the magazine as well, isn't there? I think the best magazines are always, you know, you, you, you when you open them, you feel like you're you're amongst friends, and and I think that that as just to build on what David said there about all the. Um, the the writers caring passionately about the subject matter you know, the readers do as well and we know that and we've got i think i think the mag's always had a great connection with its readers i think it makes heroes of its readers it really kind of vibes with them in, in, a, in a way that that um that that means that they, they they've been supporting the magazine really really passionately and they feel like it, it sort of belongs to them they feel a kind of ownership of it is that still the case darren it really- yeah definitely i mean ian and i engage quite a lot with people on social media um yeah, yeah well yeah. so it's not just in the magazine itself which i think still has that um, sense of family about it um, and it certainly has the puns because uh, I mean, I'm not laughing at my own puns I'm laughing at other people's puns when I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing out loud before it's being printed so um, there's some excellent excellent um, pun masters uh, at work but yeah I think there's definitely that sense of community about it people don't like it when things change um, but I think as long as you explain to people why something's happening then they're kind of okay with it um but yeah we do have a very uh, loyal mm. and caring fan base or readership rather um and i think that that's that's just the thing about sfx for me is it's always been a it's always been about passion and a love so whether it's people who are buying it people who are working for it they all everyone just really loves the content everyone just loves what it's about mm-hmm. um, i think that sfx has always got that right i think some of the titles that have been mentioned earlier on who have now gone by the wayside necessarily haven't always got it quite right or they have looked a bit like a parish magazine or um the tone hasn't been quite right or it's always been a bit sort of talking down to the reader rather than the reader being part of the experience i think that's where sfx gets right 
I think my answer to your question would have been the, the writers. We've sort of alluded to the sort of passion, and it's people writing because they're fans. You know, people who love the subject matter, and you know, my attitude was always, I want to go in to the, this film or TV show most of the time wanting it to be good and being disappointed if it isn't it's not what you consider a kind of more broadsheet approach where you're kind of picking everything apart you know if something is a thrill ride and it's fun you want to celebrate that and you want to sort of share that with the readers because it's a magazine for enthusiasts mm-hmm. and and that I yeah. think has always come over and I think you can just see that with the team because for a lot of people and it certainly was for me it's like a dream job you know, and people hang around for a long time. You know, a lot of the teams like, over the years have been on there for over a decade. And you don't get that on that yeah. many magazines because how do you improve on being on SFX? How do you? Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're right. It's, it's the longest job that I've ever had in one place. And, um, and you're right. I think, I think kind of people forget that often a, a magazine editor or, a, you know, a magazine, a magazine team will maybe do that magazine for, for a year or two or three. But actually to be on a magazine for, you know, for, for decades is, is, is kind of unusual. I mean, Matt, you were, were kind of a, a, a very senior at the point where you launched um, SFX. And so you would, you'd kind of launched a number of magazines. So you were probably on it the, the, the shortest amount of time. But yeah, that's, 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 kind of, that's kind of where it fell in your career though, right? You were kind of launching a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I was launching, I was basically doing a magazine every year. And some years I'd launched two magazines um, at that time. And where you go afterwards, well, I went to launch um, uh, Total Film. That was the next thing I did. And mm. that felt like a natural step to something that was potentially bigger than SFX and more mainstream. And it kind of was both of those things. But I never think it was quite as much fun as SFX was. Well, it's obvious that you guys are all really passionate about writing for the magazine and very excited even now about the content that you guys can show. So I'm curious in terms of looking back over all your 10 years, what's really excited you in terms of the particular shows that you've you've got to talk about or people that you've got to interview or even just colleagues that you've had the fun interaction with? Fond memories, basically. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, too many. That's the problem. The problem is this, 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 it's a long, it's a long period of time, and we did so many cool things that it's it's it's. Hard, firstly, it's hard to kind of narrow it down to to one or two things to say here, and also secondly, it starts sure. like it starts to be sound sound like you're kind of boasting as well because I you know I got to do a ton of really really cool things, and I'm sure everyone here is is the same. You know, just to go on set for things that you're passionate about is a, is a privilege and a joy. And and uh, yeah, you mentioned there were you know working with a great team and everything. I, um, what's just popped into my head though, the reflection is. Um, Myself and Nick Setsfield, uh, who was the features editor when I was there, and I think also probably worked with David as well and, and still writes for the magazine. And, and Adrian Hill, who, of course, was the ad manager and I think probably launched the magazine too. I think Matthew and Dave and Rich all have memories of working with Abe. But the three of us went to the Star Trek premiere in uh, uh, 2009 when the new Star Trek movie launched. And uh, that's genuinely one of my favorite nights of my entire life. Wow. Like it's, it was absolutely amazing. In the um, not only was the you know the Star Trek movie is is great, um, and we saw the premiere. And um, very often, if you're there in the press seats, you see the movie, and then uh, and then th- that's it. You kind of go off home and you write your review or whatever. But we got invited to the after party, uh, which was uh, which we kind of went to and went. Oh, are we supposed to be here? Are we supposed to be here? We've kind of we've kind of found ourselves in here. So we we, we thought, well, we'll drink some champagne and we'll see who's here, and then we'll piss off home. Um, 
And we ended up drinking the night away with J.J. Abrams, Simon Pegg, Carl Urban. It was, uh, it was absolutely amazing. It was if, if Carlsberg made, uh, made nights out, they would have made this. It was absolutely astonishing. <laughs> so um, uh, it, was, uh, it was incredible. Very fond memories. And that was, that was totally due to the fact that uh, was on, we were on SFX magazine. And afterwards, I remember um, Nick and Aid kind of were traveling home thinking, did, did we just dream that? Because it was a shared hallucination, but it was incredible. But Nick uh, wrote down everything that we did that night, including just eating hors d'oeuvres with Carl Urban and hanging out with them. Um, uh, with Zachary Quinto and so on, unsealed yeah. it for 10 years to see if in 2019 <laughs> our recollection of it was what had actually happened. And it turns out it was. He, he opened this last year and kind of went, oh my God, I wrote down on the way back everything that happened that night. And, uh, and as, it, as it happens, it was, uh, our memories were correct after 10 years. So anyway, there you go. I'm sure wow. I'm sure things. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't always that glamorous. I remember the first set visit we ever did, I'm pretty sure this is the first one, uh, was a Craig Fairbrass, remember him? Mm. Yeah. Called Proteus. <laughs> yeah. And Craig Fairbrass had been the baddie, a minor baddie in Cliffhanger. And um, he'd been in Prime Suspect, a minor role again. And he was later in EastEnders, I think. But, um, but at that point, they were pushing him as a sort of British action hero in cheapy films and they were making this thing about a mutated human shark or something attacks a oil rig but they were filming it in a car park behind Tesco's in East London. <laughs> so I had to go down to find this Tesco. I had park in the Tesco park, car park, basically, and then just walk around the back to this sort of big industrial shed and um, pretend that I was on an oil rig in the North Sea being attacked by a giant shark. Um, <laughs> I remember thinking, the glamour, the glamour of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, how about you? I think, as, as you were saying earlier on, I think going on set is just incredible because you just never think when you're growing up that you're going to be on the set of mm-hmm. uh, the TARDIS or um, a, a starship in, in Star Trek or, or anything of those things. And it's just, I never never take it for granted and I never I think I'll never get over it I still the smell of going onto a set like all the fresh paint and the wood and everything I just think it's incredible I love it I love seeing all of that going on um but I, I also just love the the it's almost like a puzzle every month putting the magazine together mm. and getting it all to click um mm-hmm. is uh is oddly satisfying <laughs> <laughs> but that was just thing about going on set I, I still had this weird feeling of like every, every time i watch um uh the penultimate harry potter film which i can't remember the name of now uh deathly hallows part one um and, and it's, it's just i guess i'm enjoying it and i'm enjoying it, i'm enjoying it and i'm totally thrown out and i sort of think i'm just behind that pillar i'm just literally <laughs> <laughs> i kind of get thrown out of the experience completely because um it's the only time that's ever happened where they kind of went and we're shooting you think damn am i supposed to be here <laughs> 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 that was weird. I know. I, my 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 favorite. As I say, as Dave said, it's it's like you're boasting, but I still I still love the fact that like, well, we're 25 years on now. Probably no, it's probably about 22 years on from when the feature went out. I can still go on social media and I can still like go. Isn't it about time we go crime traveler and other chance? And then I'll just no. get oh. <laughs> people going no no, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still love that. It's like. Bored night, I don't know, what should I do? I go on social media again and just talk about crime, crime traveller again. <laughs> and, uh, I just love the fact that that one feature is the one that, from my era that everybody remembers, which was the cheapest, easiest, uh, cheapest gag as well that we ever did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I like that. That's good. And, uh, and I still wonder whether some people out there still think that Spider Monkey Man was a real thing. But, uh, 
The amount of of times we refer to this mythical film called Spider-Monkey-Man, and I swear some people must believe it was real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Has it made it onto IMDb? Oh, I never checked that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As reported in SFX magazine. Yeah. The thing was, I was always the hermit of SFX editors. I was was the one who let everybody else go on set visits normally. Harry Potter was a weird thing for me. That's the one I wanted to do. But I let let everybody else have the fun while I stayed at at home, like just playing around with the words and and, and laughing stupidly. (laughs) I I do laugh at my own puns stupidly. Universe City Challenge, which uh, that, didn't, <laughs> that that didn't last long. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's that's me. Uh, Rich, I don't know. There's so many things on SFX. I think you just you get this buzz of excitement, um, and it's all sorts of things that you can give give you that. There's you know when you really nail a cover. Uh, and you've got brilliant artwork, but then we're very lucky on SFX. Um, for most of our ten years, we had Jonathan Coates as art editor, who is absolutely brilliant. You'll throw an idea at him, and it'll be the sort of photo that will make him raise his eyebrows, but he'll still turn it into something magnificent. And when you get a cover back from uh, the printers, and it looks great, and you know you've nailed it, it's a brilliant feeling. But same with, with interviews and things. Sometimes you get off a phone call with um, you know an actor or a director. And it's just been a brilliant interview and it's just the best feeling. I remember interviewing Jeff Goldblum in, um, in LA for Jurassic World 2 um, and he was everything you could have possibly wanted. Outside the trailer, he says, hmm, your name's Winter? And he just totally misheard that my name was Richard. Um, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm wondering what season I'd be named after. Yeah, and it just sort of carried on like that. I mean, because he's barely in Jurassic World 2, of course. So he didn't really have that much to say about the movie, but it was just this wonderful 15 minutes for Jeff Goldblum. And you remember those moments, you know, it's like meeting Luke Skywalker. And I'm not going to call him Mark Hamill. I'm going to call him Luke Skywalker because that's how I felt when I was opposite. <laughs> but you only have that feeling kind of after the interview, because when you're doing the interview, you have to be in the professional, I need to get some copy from this. So it's quite a weird feeling because you, you know that you can't fan out until the interview's over. Totally. In a way, what you was kind of mentioned, but the fact that, you know, you get to do those things, speak to those people, open the door of the, the TARDIS and see what it's like inside. Have you found that being editor of SFX magazine has opened other doors for you? I mean, you mentioned about doing things like going on TV or potentially being able to launch the magazine. So I was just wondering how things change for you personally. Uh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I got to launch. I got to launch another magazine. I wanted to do the um, the movie magazine. You know, I was very pleased. Oh yeah. yeah, the fact that SFX had been a hit allowed us to launch Total Film, and it also allowed me to turn down lots of jobs that I wouldn't have been offered otherwise. And they came out of SFX. You know, so um, to some degree, SFX and then Total Film afterwards. Um, so that sort of bit, that sort of mid nineties to late nineties bit for me was. I think really important because lots of people would never have known any of the mags that Future did before then. Mm. Um, they just would have been such specialist interest mags uh, to many people in the industry that they mm. wouldn't have cared about them. But um, but they did notice and care about SFX a little bit. Um, so that was that was good. It's quite a nice shorthand, isn't it? You don't really have to explain very much. If you say I was editor <laughs> of SFX, people know what you're talking about. You know, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that because I'm, I'm not the most massively ambitious person in life, but I, it still amazes me that so many years after I left that job, I can still mention I was editor of SFX and it has an effect and it can open doors and it can help me 
get things done that maybe otherwise I wouldn't have got done. So, you know, yeah, it's good. Certainly, I think that actually one of the things that I'm, I'm really pleased about is that I made a lot of friends on SFX magazine. And obviously, I'm talking about the, the, the team as well, who I'm still in, in contact with, but also the readers too. I just realized the other day how many people are that I'm connected with on Facebook that came to me because of my time on SFX magazine. It's readers or people who work in the publishing industry or whatever, and, and, and uh, authors and, and, and sort of TV script writers and things that I, that I made friends with. So actually, my kind of personal life now, I, you know, I, I, I still work in the media, but in, 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 back in video games again. But actually, I, I realized that actually quite a lot of my, uh, my, my kind of day-to-day social media activities, people that I've met through it. And I, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for that. I think it's quite hard actually to pick um, sort of before SFX and after SFX apart because it, you know, I was on the magazine for over 12 years. It's most of my working life. It's such a big part of who I am still um, that I don't know where it kind of starts and finishes, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's one of the, the, the interesting things about working on a magazine that you're passionate about, where your life, uh, your kind of personal life and your professional life begin and end is, is kind of a blur if you do something that you love, isn't it? There's that famous phrase, isn't it, that, that I think might be J.M. Barry, that if you, uh, if you do something you love, you never work a day in your life. Uh, and it's kind of a cliche, but actually it's interesting that if you do work on something like SFX, I, I would happily spend my a long day working on, on SFX magazine and then in the evening also choose to watch some Doctor Who or something just for, just for pleasure. <laughs> and the, uh, the, 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 blur, the blurring between personal and professional. I have to say that I, I, I feel like it's given me some kind of, it's liberated me in a way that um, I'm now able to just watch as much sci-fi, fantasy and horror as I want because I think, well, that's my job. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think my box set collection's probably doubled um, because I just think, oh, I should just have this now. It's you know, it's probably probably for the best. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I love it. But as you say, there's there's now there's so much now. There's more than ever than before. I, I remember all the time when Buffy and X Files and all that stuff was 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 big um, back in the early days of SFX. And now it, it, it's just crazy how much genre programming there is that's not thought of in that way as being sci-fi like it was 25 years ago you know um when it wasn't mm-hmm. quite as cool whereas now everybody wants to see the new haunting of Bly manor or umbrella academy or stranger things and um it's very strange but, it's, but but also like being able to go and find sort of really niche things like spider monkey man or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> i'll find that now yeah. uh yeah it's it's brilliant i love it it takes me down i mean i actually just recently um in the last year watched the entire series of walking dead so all 10 seasons mm. all six seasons of fear the walking dead because i actually hadn't watched, seen it before and i thought oh, it was too late and then because i got sfx i was like right i really should know this inside out so and then of course they just cancelled it so <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about the evolution of sci-fi and how it has things have, have changed and become more mainstream now and, and the opportunities that has given the magazine so I was wondering what you all thought about uh, how sci-fi has evolved and how it's affected the magazine. There's, there's, it's just become, I don't want to say acceptable because it's always been acceptable. It's, there's nothing, there's never been anything wrong with being a geek or a nerd or any of those. Those are always words that I claimed back for myself when it wasn't mm-hmm. cool to like Doctor Who at school, you know. I guess people just don't really think about it as being sort of sci-fi or superhero shows, and they've just become, because superhero films became so massive, I, when you think about back in the day when you had Blade or whatever, you know, they, they, they were big, but not on a scale with what we have now. I don't know if it, make, I don't know if it makes the job any, any easier, because you still have to sift through quite a lot of, and to think, well, what's, 
what's better, what deserves more, what, and also the, with that you have to sort of factor in nostalgia for SFX as well now because it has 25 years, it has a readership that has grown up with it, and they also they want they do like to look back. They don't necessarily want to see all about some new show until they're ready. Maybe when season two comes along, and then they go right. We actually. <laughs> So we're going to we'll, we'll embrace a bit more coverage of it than you would normally give it, but um, it, you, you do have to think about it a lot more, I think, um, because there is so much of it. And um, we changed the the SFX branding slightly to say that we, that we were sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. So not just sci-fi and fantasy or one or the other. So sort of like open it up just a little bit more, um, also that we weren't losing out on anything that we thought would be particularly cool, but. You know, where does Bond fit into that, I don't know, fantasy? I actually think your job is harder now than ever because because science fiction is so mainstream, you, mm. you're competing with, you know, I mean, you, you look at an issue of, of Total Film or, or uh, Empire and it's just all SFX territory. Mm. And so you're competing with them now. So, yeah, I think I think it's sensible to, like, go for the horror thing, which is still the one thing which is still beneath them that we still... <laughs> We we still know it's a good good genre, you know. Like there's there's some great stuff out there. So yeah, it appeals to the horror fans. Why not? It's like, but yeah, no, I, I I don't envy you now. I think it's a really really tough tough. Uh, it does get difficult because now you're in the territory where it, it can be competitive, and somebody wants. So you have Entertainment Weekly in in the US, which is not weekly anymore. I think it's monthly now. Mm. Um, and they were always the very first people to get. Pictures and things like that. So you don't have to wait till they get the pictures, and then you could have the the next run or whatever. And there's a sort of hierarchy, I think, with magazines. And so I do, I do get a little bit annoyed when I see people te- stepping into territory that you think, actually, come on, that's the kind of thing that we really go, yeah, deep yep. into. SFX has um, has steered the way that I have always written features in the past in other magazines because I, I've always felt that. When you look at an issue of SFX, you, it goes it goes so much deeper than a regular magazine does. And when, when it's doing a feature on a film or a show, and there's so much about it, so much in there that's not just the usual puff piece kind of media trained stuff. It's there's love in there, and there's there's passion, and there's people want to know about really tiny details about things that are just that's the way that we as sci-fi mm-hmm. fans are, and. Um, and uh, so when I see other magazines doing coverage like F for SFX titles and not doing them justice, I think it's a bit of a shame, really, because it's almost like they get something to fill a page rather than it's because they actually really care about it. But that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but I, I always looked at it as, you know, we're writing for people who care that TIE Fighter stands for Twin Ion Engine Fighter. You're, you're writing for geeks who care about the sort of minutiae of, you know, why a spaceship does what it does. Um, and that's what differentiates you from, you know, all the media who, yeah, okay, they've cottoned on to the fact that, yeah, sci-fi and fantasy are really good. You know, where have you been all this time? But they're not doing it in the way that SFX does. SFX's audience is looking for that kind of, well, the geeks writing for the geeks, and, and, and it works really well. I always manage to annoy my team with the phrase, it's a nice problem to have. You know, if you go back 10, 15 years, you know, you look at the the TV that was out there, a lot of stuff got into the magazine by default almost. It's like, okay, someone's made a new TV show, we'll write about it. Painkiller Jane has column inches, which is shocking, <laughs> which would be shocking now. But 
now you've got a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and a lot of it is really good you know there's a lot of really good movies i think the hit rate for blockbusters now is much higher than it was 15 years ago and just look at the quality of tv we get now it's brilliant and and that you're actually able to write about all that stuff is brilliant and okay it's a different kind of decision process it's not how much space do we give to this terrible show because we're writing about it because it's there it's god which really good show do we cut out? Yeah, that's something, something that Ian and I uh, have all the time. And actually, he, he's the one where I usually go, oh, God, I, if, I, if I really don't know about something, then I just go, what, what do you think? And he's immediately is able to tell me, well, this happened this time and that was in this issue we did this and this show was that and it wasn't. So, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so I can always rely on Ian in that res- respect. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're always sort of struggling to try and squeeze more and more and more into the magazine like you say it's a it's a it's a that's a you know lucky problem isn't it we dreamed of this problem dave didn't we, back in the day <laughs> exactly. i remember leaving the magazine and and poor dave for his first cover i think it was his first cover yeah. had bugs as his um as a thing and that yeah. was the only british science fiction show being if you could call it that being made at the time yeah. like a kind of very cheesy oh. sci- spy-fi type thing. And, um, and yeah, I just remember thinking, oh, poor, poor Dave, maybe I've left him a total <laughs> pup with this magazine. Maybe <laughs> everything is going to just collapse into just trying to cover bugs and make it sound exciting. And then, and just, I don't know, whatever, sliders Buffy. or something. And no, then, Buffy came along. Yeah, then Buffy yeah, then came Buffy along. Came and you <laughs> saved, saved you, probably. <laughs> and, and honestly, being the first magazine to put it on the cover in Europe did us so much favours throughout the next five years. <laughs> and we put, it, you... then we put it on the cover out of desperation. It was like, what is this thing? Oh, I don't know, it might be big. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, um, the whole the whole production company just loved us for the fact we put it on the cover and then when it became a big hit, we, we got the, uh, the good effects out of that. And that's it for today, because in the tradition of the best sci-fi shows, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. Luckily, you won't have to wait as long as you did after Thanos' finger snap in The Avengers... Part 2 will be available from around Tuesday the 3rd of November. In the meantime, the latest issue of SFX is on sale now in all good news agents. Or you can subscribe or buy individual issues at magazinesdirect.com. You can also follow the mag on Facebook and Twitter at SFX Magazine. Or read loads of great SFX content at gamesradar.com. And you can also listen to all the previous episodes of Robbie the Robot's Waiting, including our latest halloween offering about Final Destination, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>